want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Uh, all right, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I'm Josh. And I'm Nat. And this week we're joined by Maddie. Hi, guys. Hey, Maddie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I can indeed. Firstly, thank you for having me. I'm a bit excited. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm Maddie. I've been, I'm a social worker. I've been working in the field for about eight, nine years now, um, working first in drug and alcohol. So that's where I got into it in youth and then also in mental health and currently now working in trauma. Awesome. And I feel like it needs to be noted that we have a special exclusive guest today with us, <laughs> Molly, the golden retriever, who's patiently eating an ear over there. I know. I kind of wished in that moment she barked. Like, yeah, that would have been, oh, honestly, why haven't you taught her to perform like that? Seriously. <laughs> How does she bring your dog places? She just barks in puppy school. So that's, <laughs> cannot make her bark on command if I want to. Yeah. So hopefully, maybe mm. she'll join us at one stage. Yeah. She is the best thing. So thank you for letting me bring her as well. Anytime. She's super cute yeah mm. so we start off every podcast with our questions which we gave mm-hmm. you forewarning for yep so we'll jump into them what was your first ever job my first ever job was at the reject shop ah. <laughs> wait i knew this i don't know why i was surprised then for a second yeah so i think the best part about it was so i went around hand i was super eager to get like my first job at 14 and nine months back then mm and had one resume left and was standing outside the reject shop. And my friend and I, we just ended in the thing as a bit of a joke. Got an interview that night, then didn't hear from them for like two and a half weeks. And then the ongoing joke was that I got rejected by the reject <laughs> shop. And then I got the job and I'm like, oh, that's not as funny anymore. <laughs> Accepted by the reject shop. Accepted. Am I right in assuming, I think two things there. First is that, again, with our consistent theme is that everybody within the field wanted a job the minute they could get their hands on one whether well the people we've spoken to anyway oh yeah true i was about to say whether legally or illegally no one on here has had illegal jobs but that was yeah they're hustlers early early hustlers um but secondly is it the reject shop that you had a very militant supervisor am i thinking of the correct story you are indeed right well, firstly, to your first comment, I feel like I was a hustler because I used to, I was actually thinking the first time I got paid for something was to caddy for my dad as a, on, on a golf course. <laughs> there she is. There's Molly. Um, yeah, so I used to get two bucks a hole. Two, two bucks, bucks a hole? That's yeah, not bad. That was pretty good. How many holes does someone generally play on a golf course? Uh, nine or 18. Mm. Good players, what? 18. And sorry, Papa G, but yeah, nine. I was going <laughs> to say, is that any good? Um, so nine bucks. 
for a game of golf and in a, in a, in a, oh, oh yeah shit <laughs> in like a golf cart as well no like, oh you were just was, carrying the bag this was a long time ago 20 right. years ago i had to actually pull to, that's hard yucca then i feel like you mm. got ripped off with two bucks it's probably gold when you were a kid though yeah 12, you would have been like 10 12 a lot 13 of whiz fizz and slurpees yeah oh whiz fizz jack went to a um milk bar near where we work um the other day and it was like old school milk bar vibes and had like all the um, you know, like the sour straps that you get in the little peach circles mm. and all that. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm five again. I want one of every single one of those lollies, please. Yeah, I love those old school milk bars. I've not been to them for a while. Mm. I mean, it was a bit mm. dodgy and dingy. I think you could get dollar cigarettes, but good candy. Yeah. <laughs> or rock hard candy because, no, it's been there for 20 years. <laughs> or ice. Um, <laughs> if you were a WWE wrestler, what would be your walkout song? <gasps> I know. I struggled with this one. Um and ended up landing on Beyonce. It's a little bit cliche, but girls run the world. Nice. Oh, I love that. I, I thought, ah, oh, bit of a feminist. And I love the story about her dances from that. Do you know about her dances in that? No. no. She saw these guys do cool dancing on a YouTube clip and spent two or three months trying to find them. And they were in a village in Mozambique. What? And they're like these fully sick dancers. And she brought them out to LA and like met with them and they taught her the dance and then they're in the dance. So these oh. guys called Tofu Tofu. No, Tofo. T-O-F-O. T-O-F-O. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Right. How cool for them. Imagine being tracked down by Beyonce. Yeah. Well, they didn't really know who she was. Yeah. And they were like, had no idea. And look, this is based on a few video clips that I've Clips that I've watched on it's YouTube. It's totally fine. We don't so, fact check things here. Yeah, that's nah. Run with it. <laughs> I sometimes make shit up. Um, <laughs> but I do it convincingly, so that's all right. That's all that matters. But, yeah, so that – and they're like – she walks up in one of the clips and she's like, hi, I'm Beyonce, and they're like, cool. <laughs> yeah, right. So, oh, so they didn't know who she was. Not not to the full extent yeah. of who she was. She Imagine shouldn't have – realisation. Yeah. She should. She definitely shouldn't have emailed them because they, def- they would have been like, ah, oh, these are Nigerian scammers for sure. <laughs> True. I don't know if Yonce is sitting on her email just being like, yo, what's up? Yeah, true. I need I'm sure she's dollars. got a yeah. little person that does that for her. A little person? <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I just meant like a personal assistant, true. not her. Nah, that is really cool though. Mm. Yeah, and a good walkout song too. Yes. Like I like the, you know, the, the feminist sort of angle you went with it. Mm. It's mm. good. And yeah. it's oomphy too. Yeah. It's got a bit of sex. And I'm pretty tough, like. The listeners can't see me, but I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty hardcore. So I needed a song that went with it. I love it. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right, though. It was a tricky one. I think Josh and I, well, you probably got yours quicker than me, but I was like, fuck, I don't know what to do. I just went with a fun song where I think the guests so far have come up with a song that has more meaning and story behind it now. Mm. So, but anyway, we've made our picks. Oh, if it was going to be fun, I would have gone with Disney or something probably. <laughs> Disney? <laughs> like from from, from which frozen or <laughs> let it go like where, where are you going with that oh i don't know which one i would have chosen not too many good right Disney now songs like for under the sea is really coming to my mind i loved the little mermaid mm. i went on the little mermaid ride at disneyland and almost cried i did cry. <laughs> i was just so overwhelmed with excitement my inner child was losing it anyway <laughs> I digress. If you had to change careers, what would you do? I had questions about this question. Okay. Because, like, is it, like, ultimate career choice or does it have to be realistic? Whatever you want to do. 
Give us give us one of each because I feel okay. like astronaut or fighter pilot's going to be there. Well, close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not suggesting that you couldn't become an astronaut. I just, you know, well, yeah. the odds are. Up, up there was to be in charge of the drone that just landed on Mars. I thought that. Would oh, be that is sick. cool. Right. Yeah. I also want David Attenborough's job. Mm. Yeah. And look, he's on the way out. I was going to so say. I was going to say. I reckon it's up for grabs. Mm. So the PD I'm preparing for, <laughs> but. <laughs> But probably more realistic, I would say a gardener. Ah. Wow. Why? Just because when I'm pottering in the garden, mm. like I'm so calm and relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, well, this is great. And yeah. I get to be out in nature. No risk. It's just fun. And I, yeah, and I get, <laughs> yeah, no risk besides chopping off my finger. Yeah. And like, it's pretty exciting watching. You are a like, pretty clumsy person. <laughs> I know. It's very true. That's um, a good one. Mm. And I get very excited when like new leaves grow. I'm a bit of a pot plant person. Mm. Yeah. No, good answer. Mm. I like that. Mm. Uh, could you tell us about a time at work that you've made a mistake and what have you learned from it? Well, lots of mistakes. Um, and when I've thought about this, I've thought about this a number of ways and I thought, mm, I think the biggest mistake is that thinking mistakes were bad mm. and just that, yeah, and I was kind of I don't so I don't have a specific example, but when I was thinking about the mistakes I've made, they all kind of had a same theme where it was like, oh, I wasn't so sure. I was worried to ask a really dumb question or what I thought was a dumb question. I was like, oh, I'm in this job. I should know this by now. Mm. Um, so I didn't ask, and then it turned into a bigger, bigger issue, <laughs> and then kind of mini trying to cover it up. Mm. Um, and until in the end you have to go up and be like, oh, I've totally fucked up here. Mm. Yeah. And the response is usually from people above, you're actually fine, but why didn't you just ask us? Yeah. Mm. And so I was like, oh, yeah. So that seems to be the common theme that I didn't really ask when I could have just asked an easy question. Mm. And it's such a true point. I think, you know, so many people are so scared of making mistakes in our field. And the reality mm. is you're going to fucking make it, mm. you know. it's And it's not about, oh, you made a mistake you suck it's about okay well what did you learn from that mm. how can you grow from that what was the experience you know inevitably it will teach you something it's not all negative mm. i've recently done a course and the best part about it is that they just totally reframe the idea of mistakes and so this was like a long 20-day course over a few weeks mm. and at the start they would always be like cool so how have you been practicing like your new skills and if you said oh well i tried this but i stuffed it up they'd be like great Awesome. Perfect. Tell mm. me more about your stuff ups because mm. that's where they kind of saw the magic and the lesson and the learning. Yeah. And they were like, oh, if you're not making mistakes, then you're no longer learning. Mm. And so, yeah, just totally reframed it. So now even when I have clients and they're like, oh, I stuffed up, I'm like, cool. Awesome. Now we can do something with it. Yeah. This yeah. Is, this is where you get to learn and do something different the next time. Mm. Yeah. What was your course? My <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm laughing because it's a bit controversial. So it's an NLP course. But, yeah. so, um, Neuro-linguistic programming? Yep. Yep. Right. So awesome course. I did it with awesome trainers. Yeah. Um, highly recommended. But I think it's also a really quite unregulated field. Yeah. And so there are certain people that maybe give it a bad rap. Yeah. I think the hard thing is when with anything like that, it's like, um, what's the tapping one called? I do, I do not know. It's called tapping. Is it just called tapping? Oh, I'm getting that in EMDR confused. Yeah. My bad. Um, but, yeah, it's like people with tapping lips. That people, there's a lot of people that just be like, oh, it's a crock of shit. But a lot of the time 
I find people that have those experiences are people that have gone to like a shonky provider mm. or somewhere that's not registered. So it's like, well, would you go and get plastic surgery in someone's backyard? Yeah. So, I mean, context to most things, right? And this one as well, they kind of teach you skills about reading people and and understanding people. So for my field, great, or for personal development, great. Mm. Also a lot of entrepreneurs or people with ill intentions can use those skills to right. mislead people. And I think that's where it's got its dodgy name. But if you if you have a good, good influence in skills, yeah. you can sell people's things and make money off mm. their kind of right. struggles or... Take advantage. You know, yeah, so taking advantage. So I guess that's where... The skills themselves aren't evil, yeah. <laughs> but if you give them to the wrong person with poor eco- ecological thinking around it, it can mm. be a bit deceptive. Because yeah. I've had that experience myself when um, I've talked about somebody who has done the NLP course and mm. is now doing a job and they kind of like that. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like sometimes people do an NLP course and then they might start their own business or they mm. start yeah. their own um, I don't want to call it a um, something. No, uh, no, no. What do you call it when you're a psychologist? Private practice. Practice. Like mm. they don't have a practice, but they have like their their own business doing whatever they're doing. And you might say to your friend that you're talking mm-hmm. to about this business or this person that they're, and then they'll say what qualification have they got? Or you'll mm. tell them they did the NLP course and there's like this eye roll. And I've never understood why, and mm. I've never really looked into it. But it's um. I'm getting a bit more of an understanding yeah. now. There's so, also yeah. quite an infamous person who's a multimillionaire who I believe has... Uh, Starts with called... TR? Is that who you're talking about? No. Oh. oh, yes. T, technically A. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we can... It's Anthony Robbins. Tony Robbins? Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he we're going to get sued by Tony Robbins. But... Yeah, because he Come does first. like public speaking and stuff, right? Yeah. But so is he... A... Does he spruik the NLP program? Mm. Ah. That's where his, yeah, where his skills have come from. But I guess ah. it's debatable what people think of him. I can mm. look into this a little more to get a better mm. understanding. But the yeah. actual skills, like what I've learnt and stuff, have, were amazing. Right. Like, mm. And how I use it with clients. And it's very embodied okay. stuff. So yeah. it's a lot of, and looking at language, like it's just kind of cool. It's where the Enneagram's from. Yeah, um, right. It's looking at, yeah, lots of body language stuff around. And so, and a lot about like, dealing with emotions and kind of being um, able to be a bit more in control of your emotions and, okay. um, and a bit more. So it's got like elements of CBT in there, Yeah. Mm. how your thoughts and feelings and everything connect and then your behaviours. So it's kind of a bit of an amalgamation of them all. Okay. But, yeah, it gets a very bad rap. So whenever someone says what course, I always have to go, oh, yeah, gotcha. how do I say it? Yeah, the way you said it, I was laughing because I thought you were going to say it was like a hippie festival or something that you went to and that's why you didn't want to say it. Like palm reading or something. Yeah, Yeah. that's something that Maddie and I would do, so it wouldn't be a surprise. I think what's important though um, is like I always try and tell this with people, whether it's like supervision Mm -hmm. or courses, like it's really important that you take away what you want to take and leave Mm -hmm. the other things behind. Like, Mm. you know, you don't have to take 100% of what you learn from mm. something or from someone or a experience and 
you've probably taken a whole bunch of different things from that and probably left some behind. And I think that's what's important. Yeah. You know? And actually in this course, that's their biggest thing. Okay. Trust nothing, test everything. Right. So don't trust me for telling you this. Yeah. Go out and test it for yourself in the world hmm. and make your own decision. It's kind of all about your reality is really kind of only, you know, you, us three could talk about uh, this interview afterwards and mm. we'll all have a different idea. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've all experienced it slightly differently and so that's kind of their view as well for how I was taught it. But, yeah, don't just take what we're teaching you. Yeah. Mm. Test it all. Yeah, absolutely. I'm laughing because before when I was patting Molly, she came up to me and she was like loving the pat and heavy breathing and I hope people aren't like, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely the dog or wasn't me. And I'd blame Molly even if it wasn't. She's great for blaming things yeah. on nowadays. It's the best thing about pets, right? Yeah, pets and kids, right? Mm. Scapegoats. <laughs> <laughs> the last and final question mm-hmm. is, what are your self-care strategies mm. and do you think you implement them well? Uh, yes. Um, I've got lots of self-care strategies and now I think I implement them well and I think now I have lots because of years of not having enough of them mm. probably close to burnout and or struggling with work and life and stuff like that so um yeah now I'm very very much about self-care mm. um and recognizing putting self-care first because ultimately I can help more people and do my job better and stuff if I'm actually right but I think it took a bit of a a while to get there when you come into the field and you're a bit green or I was green at least and this kind of hero mentality mm. and it's not until you kind of crash that you're like oh no that's not how it works new system yeah um but yeah so I'm into heaps of kind of stuff um a lot of sport go to the gym aerial hoop <laughs> yeah that's uh, a cool one Molly right now is probably a huge self-care strategy yeah I'm pretty happy that last year during COVID I had another dog that I was looking after for someone um, lots of travel. I think Nat knows me well enough to know that traveling was a self-care strategy mm. consistently. Like it's like I needed to know when I was next getting a break. Yeah. Mm. Um, socializing, being out with friends, going outdoors, anything outdoors, mm. whether it be a walk or down to the beach, a bike ride, a bike ride. Um, can I ask you a question? Go for it. We're on a podcast that works out quite <laughs> well. Like, like, no, that's um, fantastic. No questions from you. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, um, you listed a few and you, you said that there was a period of time where you kind of weren't using them as well mm. as you could. I think sometimes we do, we have this conversation, but mm. what, when did you or how did you recognize that you weren't implementing them well and that you were near burnout? Like what was it for you? Because this is what I want or what we want to come out of this question is for people listening what to read, you know, read yourself and read what's going on for you that you needed to change things. So, you know, it's not too personal. Was there any sort of things that for you that kind of hit those notes? Yeah, so I think like for me the biggest telltale is my sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I'm either, yeah, and there's, not so good sleeping and then there's terrible sleeping um so and that's kind of when I wake up at two o'clock and just my head's going 100 miles an hour with both things that are important but also things that aren't important and just going loops and loops um and to the point where I get a headache from that overthinking at night that then wake up it doesn't go so I start to get 
and sore neck. Um, so I kind of notice in my body what my body's telling me. Um, and I think for me, I'm quite extroverted. I love being around people. And when I notice that I, sorry, I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing mm. at Molly puffing near the That was Maddie's heavy breathing. Mm. Um, but yeah, when I start to not want to catch up with people as much. So mm. big telltale is when I'm like, I can't be bothered. Um, and for me, it's never been so much social anxiety. Like not, it's just lack of energy to do that. Mm. Okay. And kind of, um, and yeah, then realizing that when I do see people, I'm like, oh, there I am. I'm back again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's actually the part of the solution. Mm. I was a bit like that through COVID, working from home mm. and not being, because I'm quite similar. I'm a very sociable mm. person. Um, and being at home and only virtually connecting with people as opposed to coming into the office and seeing people, it was such a drastic change for me. Mm. Um, and probably not something I realised until I got my first sort of option to come and work from the office and mm. I saw you know, my team members that I hadn't seen in person for over sort of 10 months. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, humans, hmm. human people, this is the best. But, I, yeah, I didn't realise until, like what you've just said, you know, until you're in it and you're like, oh, there's me, there I am. It wasn't until I sort of had a little taste of connect, real human mm. connection at work again. Because it starts to become the new norm for, yeah. for you otherwise and then you're like, until I kind of got a few patterns where now I've reflected back and but initially didn't really notice it happening, even though I think other people probably noticed it. Mm. And even if they said it, I was probably defensive to it, um, which now I wouldn't be either. I think that's come with maturity and just debunking what I think kind of mental health, like my whole view on that has changed from when I was 20 to now where I'm like, oh, mental health, it's so normal. Everyone's got it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's just, it's like physical health. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah. So... But, yeah, I think it took – and that was the same with even during COVID with clients, like seeing them virtually, starting to think, oh, this isn't working as well. Mm. And then having moments where I'm like, maybe I'm not good at this. Mm. <laughs> and then having a client session face-to-face -face and being like, oh, no, I, I'm yeah. all right at this. This yeah. is actually just about face-to-face -face connection. Mm. And we often – it's funny, isn't it, because I think that was something that a lot of people came to – realize or was sort of a bit of a conversation throughout COVID and even I think I'm like why were we like surprised by that of course for example you know where, where I work you we do community sports so we don't necessarily do support for um, kids in custody but it does occur but one of the things we talk about is it's it's not a therapeutic alliance to work with a young person in custody around community goals you know, their frame of mind, their state of being is quite different when they're locked away and they can't leave four walls as opposed to being in the community with all of life's external stresses and, you know, um, peer networks and all of that sort of stuff. So, of, of course, they didn't engage, mm. you know, as well as some people expected through COVID and also how impersonal to just talk to somebody mm. through a screen. Mm. Um yeah, or even over the phone if they didn't have the capacity to have access to a screen. Just some random person down the phone. Yeah, no, it was a, you know, it was better than nothing yeah. during COVID and I think that as well as you can do, but definitely going back to face-to-face, -face, yeah, it's just so evident that it mm. works so much better. And mm. I just think for clients especially, like, you know, I feel that as a facilitator and worker, but for clients how they would have to feel 
especially when it's over the phone for the first time and yeah it must just be very impersonal yeah Mm. yeah it'd be quite confronting I can imagine Mm. I think something that you touched on um prior to us starting the podcast and then we cut the conversation because we didn't want to get too much into it Mm -hmm. lose Um, all the good shit before we started recording it (laughs) we didn't and i've just lost my train of thought well um Um, was it maddie's current role yes sorry and we were talking about um the drawings and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so your role at the moment thanks for the reminder (laughs) pixie dropped out of the thing it confused me anyway um yeah so your role at the moment you were talking about quite a lot of play therapy which Mm -hmm. i think is really cool anyway and i think you and i actually did a training together once um with a woman who was explaining that we oh yes um that we play as children and then we sort of get to an age you know when you finish grade six and you come into high school and you don't play anymore Mm. it's not cool to play right and then you become an adult and we sort of lose this sense of um, I think it was called somatic practice in the training Mm. that we had had done but you lose this connection to play and it's Mm. like as adults we're not allowed to do that we're not a we're not allowed to connect. We're not allowed to be silly. We're not allowed to have fun. Um, so I'm keen to know a little bit about how your current role, what play therapy looks like. Mm. Um, and I think that we'll get into the drawing. Mm. And it's a really cool opportunity because we, we so often have conversations with people who work in like community outreach roles and like your stereotypical, nothing wrong with that. We both do them. Like mm. your stereotypical community roles, AOD, resi work, like that sort of stuff. But Having it like there's so many more uh, roles in within the field, mm. especially in that social work field. Like we had um, Paul on, who was a social worker in a hospital, mm. and the role you're in at the moment, working with you know you're saying before children from around six, mm-hmm. and doing you know all the way sort of through. It's just some of the topics that aren't covered mm. as often. So I think it'd be really interesting for people to hear about um, some different roles like that. So yeah, it'd be really cool. I think as well having kids myself yeah. and playing with them mm. and the effect that that has like with, you know, I've joked with, or not joked, but I've told the story before about sitting down and being really meaningful with my time mm-hmm. playing um, Jenga. like Jenga that time. But now mm. recently it's been Lego, been like doing heaps of Lego at home mm. and mm. just trying to be conscious about doing that, but how much of an impact it has had on my kids. Yeah. Where have you like by choosing to do that as opposed to choosing to, either not play or play a different game or trying to let, let them play by themselves. Mm. So just the impact, it's, yeah, it's just mind-blowing and a little bit like mm. eye-opening as a parent. You're like, oh, man, like just that five minutes or that ten minutes or whatever it is to spend that time, you know, like, yeah. Uninterrupted time. And I think mm. what we'd mentioned previously in conversations is and probably not something that I really had a, a strong grasp on before having a nephew, mm-hmm. I was about to say having my nephew, I didn't have him, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but before having a nephew is that they demand your attention. They're mm. all consuming. You don't have the capacity to be distracted by other things or to be, you know, worrying about something else. You know, they, they demand your attention. And so I think there's something really beautiful in that and that adults can get distracted in play mm. with children. I think there's something really big that we as adults can learn from children. I think, mm. oh, I think it needs to be embedded mm. more. And that's, yeah, and I kind of forgot to hit my point. My, my point after all of that <laughs> was like by, the, by playing the outcome that we get like parent to child, mm. 
mm. um, in terms of the things we might end up in a conversation about while we're playing or um, like afterwards the, the amount of times that he would come back to mention the fact that we played Lego mm. together. Mm. So that, translating that over to like doing play therapy mm. I feel like I'm waffling. I'm really sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're not waffling. It's all gold. I'm (laughs) so passionate about play and in Mm. adults um, as well because I just think, yeah, it does get forgotten. Like, Mm. or we kind of, yeah, hit an age where it's not so cool anymore. And I don't know. um, And I think a lot of that comes to comparison. Like, you get to an age where you start comparing yourself, and and then suddenly play goes out because you know whether you're good or good or bad compared to the other. You know, you make make judgments on it and stuff but it's been really fun since I've I swapped roles in the last couple of years and so started working with children mm. and at the start to be fair I was a little bit intimidated because I was yeah. kind of like I can I've got nephews I can in the past I've done heaps of stuff with kids but not so intentional mm. and so I've had to learn um, which has been fun all about what I'm doing as a trauma therapist mm. playing with kids because and my supervisor was just like, you just play with them. The kids actually do mm. the therapy. And so it's been fascinating watching and like what things you have around in your room um, and that they'll gravitate and often multiple times to the same object mm. and kind of play out their trauma and give it an ending or change the story. And it's really fascinating to see them do that. You'll draw things and get a bit of an insight into where they're at just yeah. based on if you ask them to draw Um, and I think it's really interesting what you were saying about as a parent playing, my sister-in-law recently was talking about with her son that he just said to her, like, mom, can you come and play robots with me? And she was like, I had cooking to do. I had washing to do. Um, and you know, when I'm there as the auntie, yeah, I've got all the time in the world to play because I don't actually have to run the household. Yeah. (laughs) So I can just deal with anything they want. Um, but as parents, you've got to weigh up, do I? can I play now or not? And she's like, you know, I don't want to play robots. Mm. Like, it's not, not necessarily in robots. what she's wanting to do. Um, but she was like, no, I sat down and I played with him for half an hour and he was never been happier. Yeah. Like he was just so engaged. It's what he wanted and she fulfills and she was present with him. She wasn't on phones or anything. And she just knew that she just knew that that's the magic. Mm. And she's just like, Oh, I just need to actually, where possible because you do still have to do your parent duties Mm. but but that play is and they learn so much in the play they're copying you they're if you're calm when they're playing you know they're learning off you how to be calm if you get excited but then you know the game gets exciting and then you calm down again Mm. you're kind of as the parent or me as the facilitator regulating that for them Mm. if they get frustrated because something's not working you get to help them figure that out like you're doing all this cool stuff without even knowing you're doing it yeah yeah like a big thing Mm. we've noticed with the lego is like the negotiation of everything Mm. because you know like he's got a little person that his brother wants and you and i've talked about like you're gonna gonna have to trade so Mm. what could you offer him you know Mm. you've got a car there do you want to trade in the car for the person Mm. or looking for things and the patience around clipping stuff in and you're right even now as you were talking i was thinking oh yeah we do that we do this like uh, stuff i hadn't thought about Mm. you know even in the moment too (laughs) It's um yeah it's uh yeah it's interesting. What does it look like for for you to do play therapy with a child? Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk us through what that might look like? I feel like that's not something that a lot of people would have been exposed to for a session mm-hmm. for somebody. 
So it varies depending on, well, one, my intention at the time, but mm. also like the age of the child yeah. and the first few sessions and I guess looking at how directive I want to be versus completely indirective and let them lead it. Um, and I guess once again, which session it is, whether it's the first one or we're 10 in kind of thing. So there's a lot of variation in what we do. Um, but yeah, so there's different kinds of um, tools that we kind of use. So there's sand tray that I actually don't know a lot about, but we've got a few colleagues who are trained up in that. Um, and a lot of it is around, how do I describe it? I guess it depends on as well what, yeah, as a trauma therapist, it might be around, you know, I work with refugees. So we might have things around with soldiers and animals and stuff like that. And they might be playing out um, somebody getting hurt, but then we might come in with the doctor this mm. time and actually change the ending, which helps, helps them realize or where they could get help. Mm. So depending on the kid, it it might be directed like that or they might just naturally do those kind of things sometimes initially with just building the relationship it could be as much as playing uno or connect four or something yeah. which that's not so much about it but it's about creating a safe space mm. Mm. of course yeah the rapport building and playing and, and yeah i was yeah just the other day playing met a kid for the first time um swapping workers and i think playing uno with three people in the room she opened up about things that the other workers like, wow, she hasn't said that for a year. Wow. So sometimes just in the playing and probably in that space, having an extra person, less intimidating than one-on-one. Mm. And so it's just, it's kind of a tool to do. So sometimes it's a very um, intentional tool mm-hmm. like with the soldiers will actually, or I know if kids have had trauma around like a medical injury, mm. they'll get bears with doctors and kind of help calm them in that situation. So yeah. in that scenario, would mm. you use the tools to try and find information out about a trauma? Like <coughs> you might suspect that a young person or a child's gone through a traumatic event, but you might not know what it is. Would you <coughs> hope that the end goal is that by using those tools that you might learn that the young the child has maybe gone through a particular event because they played it out with the toys? Like would you like if they're doing something, would you mm. be like, Oh, and who's this person in, mm. in the game? Oh, that's mum. Oh, okay, and what happened to mum? Well she got X, Y, Z, you know, is that what you might do? I'm just going to say X. I'm like, what do you mean, dead? Dead. Yeah, so we do kind of ask, yes. So we ask all those kind of questions to see, and especially if they're drawing, who's this person? Mm. What's that? Does that person have any friends? You know, if they've drawn a picture with just one person, Mm. is it you? If it's not you, who is it? So we do ask kind of leading, well, not even leading questions, probably pretty open questions. and I guess the intention is to build the story a little bit, um, but not necessarily, I don't necessarily need to know all those answers to like, especially in trauma, you don't need to know what's happened except as far as the narrative goes. It's okay. all about integrating it. Um, Which so is yeah, interesting. case by case, but yeah. yeah, there are definitely times where we might ask who for sure who people are and yeah. who else could you find in that situation if oh you're this person's scared what what should they do if they're scared like this teddy because sometimes if you sometimes you figure out it actually is them but it's Mm. easier for them if they make it a teddy that's scared yeah yeah Um, like when friends say oh my friend's brother has this issue and you're like okay 
So mm-hmm. it's, it just makes it a little bit less intense for them. Yeah. So that's yeah. the role of the toys, I guess, as well. Yeah. Mm. Which is interesting, interesting that you said that because I just had a moment where I was like, oh, yeah, because I've definitely had clients in the past that have been like, oh, my friend has, like, <laughs> used this drug or, mm. like, has an issue with this. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, your friend, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. <laughs> but if, like, that's the way they want to mm. engage and that works, that works. But something that um, came to mind, which is not a super um, – crazy thing but I guess in the context of play therapy and you'd mentioned Mm. drawing and I think probably a similar example of that that people have seen is like the parents being pulled in in a movie Mm -hmm. into the kids school because they've drawn like this crazy picture and Mm -hmm. it's them you know stabbing somebody or something's happening and they're like what's going on at home Mm. I've just never connected that as like what we were talking about before how you were saying it depending on how young people draw things and Mm. Like what you were saying, is that person alone? Does that person have any friends? Is that person sad? Um, yeah, I'm just like connecting dots in my head in relation to that. It's so crazy to think. And like we said before, like I wonder how I would draw my tree if mm. I was to draw a tree. What was the tr- the tree was your? So the, tr- yeah, so there's a tool that's quite, yeah, quite a lot of kind of therapists use it for kids um, at certain ages. It's the tree, the house and the person. Tr- and so you ask a kid to draw those and it's, then you look at yeah the lines that they're drawing, whether they're dark or soft, what colours they choose, if any. So you look at whether kids use lots of colour or no colour. Um, but we ask about the colours because sometimes you know black is their happy colour. So we can't mm. make too much assumption mm. that that you can exp- kind of gives you spaces to start exploring. Um, yeah, the trees kind of about yeah how grounded they feel. So it depends on how they draw they put roots on their trees and if they put fruit in the trees it's quite a positive sign um if it's bushy and leafy but it also depends a bit on their age yeah like Mm -hmm. i was saying beforehand a four-year-old's not going to do that either so it's got to be age appropriate for what they at that age would be expected to kind of draw the person's quite interesting so whether they have like a face if it is them you always ask them who the person is if they draw other people um where if they put hands, so hands is a bit of a thing that at a certain age kids start adding hands anyway or mm. sh- should start. Um, and, yeah, whether the hands are open or closed helps to demonstrate kind of things about how they're feeling. Um, I mean, I love that we're having this conversation. I love that you told me about the tree stuff, but I feel now, like in my head, I'm like, I'm going to go home and mm. I'm going to build a tree. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to fucking build a bushy tree with roots and fruit yeah. on it because I know that that's a good thing. And what you need to do is give give that to, um, like, your nephew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then it's maybe too close to home, right? Yeah. So I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, I'll see if my son wants to draw some of these things. And I'm like, what if his tree's got no leaves on it and his hands are closed? And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and dad's in the corner all yeah. in black. Who's that? That's you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please get the kids to do it? Oh, maybe. Dad's got a knife over his head. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would recommend, yeah, I guess if anyone's going to do it, yeah, researching a bit about it and taking it with a bit of, it's a theory. Yeah. Like anything. Maddie's a trained professional. Yeah, okay? she's not us. We are not. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so as not to read too much into it. And yeah. even as a, you know, we just kind of, it's a hypothesis, I guess. Yeah. Mm. It's fairly evidence-based, but at the same time we still use it like that as well. So it takes mm. a bit of... um yeah practice in knowing what you're looking for and how to ask questions to make sure that what you're thinking Mm. might be more accurate so yeah use with caution yeah (laughs) am i correct in thinking 
like life story work and, and the life story books. Am I is that the correct title? Yeah, life story. Yeah, work. I've not done too much in that space. Is there a, a connection there with art therapy, or is the book more around just telling their journey? You know, like life story work. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, not exactly. Like no. kind of, but what what do you mm. define as life story? Is that like narrative therapy type stuff? No, I just it's, mi- a, it's a specific diploma, the life story work diploma, and it's I and I I don't. So from my understanding, we've actually I've got a friend who's qualified in it. We should see if she's mm. wants to come and chat to us about it. Yeah. But um, my understanding is that you you use like a like a long roll of like butcher's paper, like a long, so it's really linear, mm-hmm. like a life. Yeah. And it's not only drawing, I think there's like you can use photos and like certificates and a bit like of a collage, but it's um, you, I believe that you start at birth yeah. and you start to put things in that birth, sort of in that. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's like a timeline kind of thing. Timeline, that's what I'm thinking of. Thank you. In that mm-hmm. timeline to start to tell your story and my understanding is that it's kind of like a bit around narrative sort of therapy mm-hmm. and building up the gaps yeah. and information that you can find, information that you've got um, and and making sure that I think that there's not really any gaps, that you have a full understanding about from birth to now for your history where, as we know, like a lot of young people sort of in out-of-home care yeah. and things, there's gaps and it's around trying to help them have a sense of their identity and their history of of themselves and I don't think it's only I don't think it's all um like through drawing and writing I think there's other elements to it yeah I wasn't sure because I know a a colleague of ours had done it I I believe a lot of the work around like the life story stuff they have like a support person so if Mm. that was say like mum they wanted to be a part of that or sister or whoever um but I just remember a specific time where a colleague of ours was the support person for the young person because they didn't Mm. have any family um, and I just wondered if, I guess, the the tool around the drawing and dependent on how things are depicted, if that was used in Life Story. But now it makes sense that they're two completely separate things. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to say they're completely separate. I don't know. Well, but it yeah. sounds like a different kind of um, angle you take. Mm. Well, I'm just thinking the Life Story because now, yeah, I do actually know what you're referring to, but not in depth either. Yeah. But I think it's, yeah. But it's not something I've ever been a part of, I guess, because, mm. you know, often it's a close network that does that mm. with a trained professional and yeah. you know unless you're invited to be in that space or unless mm. you study it you don't necessarily it's a life story work diploma it sounds really cool like um yeah. the person that i worked with that did it yeah yep. and then um i mean off topic but you can do that and then i think that there, there's um definitely like sort of capacity for you to kind of have your own sort of business or like practice practice you know <laughs> just doing life story work with people because mm. um and I don't think there's heaps of practitioners that do it. Like, yeah. I don't think it's huge, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds cool well, anyway. Yeah. And at the same, like, I think it would complement trauma therapy a mm. lot because that's what happens when there's a trauma or multiple, then people kind of have this before and after self. And that's what it's doing, integrating that it's more of a thing in a whole scheme of your life as opposed to this is the only event defining mm. you. Yeah. So I think, I imagine that's a little bit what the timeline would do, show you. You as a whole, not just you as that these one thing, yeah. in particular things. Mm. And I think as well, a lot of our thoughts are just the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. So if we want to reframe, not you know something in the past that happened, we can't say it didn't happen, but we can reframe and kind of change the narrative to how we want to 
mm. say it and yeah. have then you know alter the feelings that we have around that story yeah absolutely do you think that any of your youth work skills because thinking like i'm you did a lot of when we worked together you were big on the rec stuff mm-hmm. early days um youth work do you think you um any of that benefited you in your time say in the jungle in your work over there um can you expand on the jungle sorry no, this, Maddie wasn't, can, Maddie, this wasn't mentioned earlier Maddie lived in a jungle no i'm kidding the reason i ask is because yeah. there's i've had a couple of conversations mm. with people recently who have done quite a bit of travel and said that they loved having been a youth worker for a couple of years mm. and then went and traveled because they felt like the skills that they used in work and with their clients actually supported them in their travels and being independent and being mm. in brand new environments and all that sort of stuff. And so I think, you know, particularly... Dealing with people, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think particularly, like, before you get into it, mm. please tell us about the jungle because Josh obviously wants to know you that is that I'm well aware. Ah! Oh my god, that is like my ultimate goal. Now you've done that NLP training, it. right? You'd be able to like use it to your advantage. Exactly. Oh my god, you've got to manipulate like everybody on Survivor. So I'm convinced that I will win it. I yeah, just yeah. have to get onto it. Can well, I also just say that Maddie's convinced she will win most things once we had a competition mm. that she thought she could jump through a car window quicker than I? That's a bizarre. <laughs> I'll show you the video footage. I won. Oh my god! I tried head first, and yeah, that she just thought head jumped first in into the car. Yeah, and I was like, "No, you idiot! Like, oh head first isn't going to be quick enough." Yeah, open. Yeah, yeah, sure, but still. <laughs> no, so it's a very narrow open, space. Door closed. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'll show you the. I'll oh show you the videos. God. I won though, and it was yeah. feet first, wasn't it? Yeah, oh feet gosh. first was quicker. You were um, super confident about it. That's why I wanted to test mm. it. But, but, but you survivor, survivor, I will win. Okay, so I didn't Absolutely. win the car one, but survivor. Yeah, hands down. Yeah, and I think you do well with the weekly challenges with getting the, um, what's it called? Like your immunity oh, yeah. necklace because you're a gold star sort of person. So <laughs> immunity I, every week. You feel, yeah. I feel like you're a, like a, um, I just had the word and I lost it. This happens all the time. Legend? I, un- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unassuming. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't think people, I think. I also don't think I would say I was a social worker. I think I'd need a different career. Oh yeah, yeah. You got to mm. play all the cards. Yeah, yeah. I think like I'd need one creatively. Where might think I'm more of an asshole. But the yeah, jungle. Yeah, that guy so... that pretended to be a yoga teacher one time. On I've, Survivor, I've actually never. I'm surprised I never watched it because I think I'd really enjoy it. I froth it. But um, I still watch the American one. I'm. I can't watch the Australian one. Okay. Except when I'm in it. But um, because I'm so loyal to the American one. Yeah, right. right. I feel like it's like a. It's too copied. Do you want to hear um, a really funny story? Well, you're going to hear it anyway. Mm. So, <laughs> well, I used to work at a summer camp in America. Hey, me too. Oh, there you go. Twins. Well, um, where was yours? Mine was in Massachusetts. Ah, there you go. Okay. Mm. I was in um, Pennsylvania. I was oh, cool. Texas. It's okay. That's cool. There you go. Um, but I worked with this guy who was a Canadian guy and like social work background mm. and stuff. And he would play with other people. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. But he would play this game, which was like verbal survivor. And so what you would, it's so bizarre. But what he would do is it would be all the people that you were like, that you knew. So mm-hmm. he, he, say 10 people that you work with in your job right now, right? Or whatever. And it was because in Survivor, there's like a physical challenge and then a mental challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you would all vote and someone would leave. He would do this thing with other people and they would talk through the whole thing of Survivor until there was a winner. But he would be like, you know, like we would all probably vote that person out first because like they're definitely the weakest thing. But then it would be the, 
then it'll be the physical challenge and there's two teams and he would talk it. They would all talk through it. And he's like, realistically, this person's going to win. And sometimes people would talk themselves out of the game. Right. Because it's all like psychology and talking. Yeah. Do you follow? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so bizarre. I'd sit there and watch them. I'm like, how do you even do this? But they're all like really mm. into like psychology and like like sort of all of the, yeah, like psychology really. But mm. they would talk through this mm. whole game of Survivor in their head until there was a winner. And people that were actually participating in this like game were talking themselves out and they're like, yeah, you're right, I probably would get voted out. And like, yeah, you're right, I probably wouldn't survive like this part or yeah, you, you would beat me in this challenge and stuff. And they'll talk through the whole thing. Wow, it's so wow. weird. Yeah, it was so weird. But classic, classic this guy, Jordan, legend of a guy. Legend. But classic him to be doing that. Yeah, 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 for It'd sure. It'd be fun to do a survivor challenge at work. Oh, like... Could get nasty Sometimes though. I just do it in life. I just... <laughs> When there are hard challenges, I'm just like, imagine this is your survivor moment. Mm. Like you've got to keep going. So even like a few years ago, I took a group of kids to Nepal mm. and we were doing this hike and even I, like I was struggling up this bit, but I had to pretend I wasn't because the kids were struggling. Mm. Yeah. And I was just like, and this one kid was mentally draining for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like. This is your survivor moment. Mm. Like you can keep going. Yeah. And I was, well, if it wasn't for COVID, I would have done the um, Oxfam walk last year. Oh, yeah, yes. That was my like mental nice. test yep. for survivor. Yeah. I was like, that was going to be the how I was going to complete it because mm. I was basically, and in the jungle, I used it a lot. Like when I was trudging through like lakes up to my neck. Yeah. Out to get to the mount monkeys or the big cats. I was like, yeah, this isn't the end of the world. This is Survivor. Yeah. yeah. Like eating the same slop for three months. Like I was like, this is Survivor moments. I love uh, that. I have Aunt Middleton from the SAS Survivor thing, like calling me a pussy. That's what gets in my head. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know, you know Yeah, about. I know what you're talking about. But yeah. see, that I, I wouldn't, um, I guess I'm probably quite similar to you, Maddie. I'm, I, if, like I've watched the SAS. I'm like, if that motherfucker was screaming in my mm. face, being like, you played a delinquent, I'd be like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah. fuck you, I reckon. Mm. Like, that is not positive reinforcement mm. for me or no. motivating. I'd I'd want to um, rebel. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a hard thing too. But I think, like, Maddie pictures herself in Survivor, I picture yeah. myself doing the SAS challenge course. Yeah. And so I place myself in that yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm. Fuck, I need a challenge. You need I to need to pretend I'm on something. Um. I'll think of it. You've just said a bunch of things that I really want to hear about now. <laughs> so taking a bunch of kids to Nepal, separate trip from being up to your neck in mud in the jungle. Yep. Yep. All right. Which one first? And is there more we don't know about? It's heaps. Really? Okay. You might need a part two. Just <laughs> yeah. We could do that. Well, um, all right. So bunch of kids to Nepal. Yes. How's this was, start? Um, yeah, this started by a friend messaging me being like, you should work for our organization and yeah so that was an organization um that unfortunately with covid didn't survive mm. but um yeah took a group is this world kids. challenge uh similar so it's not world challenge right. but basically one of its competitors but they mm. played nice to my understanding i applied for a job with world challenge mm. not even kidding four years later or something like mm. a ridiculous amount of time i got an email like i was married with kids when i got the email <laughs> they're like oh hey we're wondering if you're still interested in being a guide and i was like what like a ridiculous yeah. amount of time later Did i got this email from fax? them oh honestly i must have <laughs> it was a, i couldn't believe it i literally applied when i was like 20 and i got a call up when i was like 24 or something it was it was insane amount of time but anyway we shuddered 
Oh, it was so far gone. It was like right. when I wanted to be traveling all the time and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Um, so I did that. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And it sounds like the, the company that you went through were a little more efficient with their time. Maybe for, not. For the, um, <laughs> yes, for the application process. I'll yeah, give okay. you that. <laughs> um, yeah. They, yeah. So it was an interesting experience to say the least. It was the weirdest job interview I've ever been. Like, so the application, I, yes, I got a reply straight away, but it was like, if you're interested in the job, come to a place in Emerald for a weekend and oh, um, bring cool. a sleeping bag and dress comfortable, <laughs> casual, comfortable, no, casual professional. Yes, that's right. No, comfortable okay. professional. And I remember being like, what the hell is that? Yeah, right. And then it was like, yeah, the weirdest quite ethically confronting there were times where i was going to walk out on this weekend because oh. it was not very well delivered it was kind of testing how the group engaged and it but it was this it was almost like survivor because it was at the start they were like thanks for all coming um some of you won't be here tonight oh and my everyone, gosh people were like we've huh? carpooled like yeah. <laughs> you said it was two days we didn't know people were getting That's sent awesome. home people, it was cutthroat and yeah, so right. like at times and um, pretty ruthless feedback at times. So we had to, they, they'd kind of set you up and give you these tasks and really they're looking, I guess, for how well you engage with others and stuff. And then you've got the really overt personalities that are just trying to dominate. And it's an interesting group interview, but yeah, the feedback was pretty, pretty brutal. And the guy was pretty nasty in my opinion too. Wow. And a bit bullying to some mm. of the staff. I put that on my feedback, but I did still accept the job. It's a mini regret. Yeah. <laughs> but but, no, but he, he wasn't like that intentionally. He was just a bit I of a prick. Was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of a game. I think he enjoyed yeah, right. it for this moment. Right. Because he was actually quite nice otherwise. I had a few interactions with him and I was like, oh, no, you do mean well. Right. Yeah. And he did some good speeches about like, um, yeah, being onto it, watching the children, making sure no one's like abused in any way like when he did that i almost cried his passion was there for mm. safety and stuff mm. but yeah in this moment i was like oh kind of a bit of a dick as well yeah okay <laughs> and when people didn't make it was it like you know everyone had their like torches and yeah, the tribe was spoken and it was almost <laughs> like people were in tears it was really like they divided you into three groups and you all went in separate rooms and only two groups came back oh and some people left without saying gunshots. goodbye <laughs> And some people came back crying like How bizarre. Wow. I was like, wow, it didn't need to be. So yeah, I was past my first survivor. Okay. Yeah, right. But How the long trip were you was in amazing. Nepal? So I went for a month. Um, so you took the kids for twenty eight days. Um, and what was the demographic of young people? Yeah, so it was plugged to year ten and eleven students, but end of their year, so they're really eleven year twelve students. Okay. Yeah. Um, and given the cost of these, they're more like private school. Okay, so it sort yeah. of wasn't like a... No, it wasn't really social work. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. A lot of the people who worked were in like outdoor ed um, mm. qualifications or teachers that like in their school holidays because most of the programs ran over the school holidays. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the kids do a lot of fundraising um, beforehand and then go. they do a community project where we like went to a school and helped them build like a, comp a hall space and... So they do that for about five days. They do a trek for, and they all, they basically plan their trip. Yeah. Or should plan it. Depends on how 
proactive the kids are. But yeah, so they do fundraising beforehand for a year. They plan their trip. They they plan it at the time. So whilst I was the the leader overall, every day there were three kids who take it in turns in leading okay. in little groups. And so they plan where we're eating, where we're sleeping. Wow. Most of them their first time overseas. Um, and they get a few goes at um, being in charge of days. So I think yeah. in the 30 days they probably each led about six or seven days. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they – and then I kind of go through them how your day went, review – do it again, how to go this time. So it's all about kind of learning from mistakes and where they can improve. So it's more of a leadership program. Mm. Was there any situation where a kid was leading a day and it went drastically wrong? Oh, that you can share. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I was a little... Did you lose just, a kid? I didn't lose any kids. No, no one died um, on Everest or anything. No, I didn't, didn't lose any... None came back with a dog bite, although we almost adopted a dog on the way. Aww. It followed us for like four days. It was the best. Oh, that's so sad. Albie, I know. And we gave it to somebody else. Oh. Um, but, yeah, there were tears separating from that dog. Um, but, yeah, I would say more the time management of stuff. Yeah, okay. Like I was like, we leave tomorrow. And it's weird because as a traveller, I'm a massive wing it person. Mm. But with a group of 30, you can't just wing it. Far um, out, 30 kids. Oh, no, I totally lied then. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking 30 days. Um, no, I had 15 kids in mine. Okay. So 15 and I had 15, two teachers with me as well. So three adults, 15 kids. Yeah. Still a fair. That's huge. Like, still. You know. Yeah. It's five kids each. And some groups mm. are bigger. That was, I think, a relatively small one. Okay. Um, and, yeah, so more just they're kind of winging it. Mm. So I would spend a lot of time basically pre-doing some of it yeah like even sometimes or I'd be like they would yeah they would go up to their rooms because they just wanted to sleep yeah and I'd be like oh like really we have to book tomorrow's accommodation and bu- buses they had to book all their buses and we moved quite a bit yeah ah. so I would kind of often when we were pushed for time instead of making them too narky I'd go speak to reception half plan it and then get the kids to come down nice. and do it properly. So so that they didn't actually miss out on what they wanted to do. Yeah. So there was an idea if they were still doing it and they still thought they were doing it mm. firsthand, but we would have missed things. Yeah. yeah. Buses and <laughs> stuff so like that. So the itinerary wasn't set out from the very start to finish. There was elements through the trip that required mm. the young people to sort of engage in that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah so wow. roughly, roughly planned, but... Yeah, the only parts that were really preset and we had a guide were the trek mm-hmm. and the community project. So there we yeah. had accommodation and food organised. It was amazing. We stayed with locals for the community project and so that we stayed in their house and they cooked us food every night. It's a great experience. Mm. Mm. I was about to say, how, what an amazing experience and something that I would have never known about unless, like, the only reason mm. I know about it is because you did it. Not something that's, like, wildly no. advertised. Like, I feel mm. like the camp... Camp stuff. A lot of people do camp stuff. It's. I think that's a great opportunity. Still not as you know. There's heaps of different camps that you can go and do. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the um, Nepal mm. and that organisation. Because you did like a, a camp in Tassie, didn't you? Like a practice one. Well, the school that I led was from Tassie, so I went down right. there and we kind of spent a weekend before where they got to know me. I got to know them. We ran through a bit of a mock of what a day might look like in country. Yeah. So we, they had to take it in turns and they took me around Launceston <laughs> um, and kind of guided and we 
so it was a bit of a and in some of the schools that were from Melbourne would do it around here so they'd take different public transport styles and oh, yeah. um, right. navigate so it was kind of a yeah mock this is what it's going to be like mm. but I actually think it was pretty impressive of the kids like some yeah. of them were 16 there was a bit of especially halfway through a lot of homesickness mm. 30 um, days is a long trip that's huge yeah. mm. so some of them were completely fine with it but depending on what their life experiences leading up to it and others got quite homesick, physically sick, especially the countries that the organisation went to were, you know, your Nepal's, your India's, your South American countries, um, a few countries in Africa they went to. So, yeah, ones that were very out of their comfort zone and culture, awareness and, yeah, yeah, so it was interesting watching the kids kind of adapt to that and to beds and cold showers and mm. pooing in holes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that they, been they wild. did it. They survived. It was only on the last day that three of them started vomiting on the flight home. Oh, no. That was the worst time. Mm. At yeah. least you're on the plane and not having mm. to, like, carry one of them down the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> that could be your survival moment. Uh, jungle? Jungle, yeah. So I spent three months in the jungle in Bolivia. Wow. Best experience ever. So that was like a volunteer thing that I heard about actually through one of my previous colleagues um, when I was going to South America who was like, you've got to do this. And mm. it was like an animal refuge rescue um, with mainly big cats and monkeys and all other animals I'd never seen before in South <laughs> America. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I think it's crazy and something that um, you say big cats. Mm-hmm. There's pictures of you with these animals that could eat Maddie in one bite. Like it's wild. And I think mm. the stories about it, like even putting putting the big cats to bed or like there was that mm. cheeky monkey that used to escape mm. all the time and <laughs> like the stories that you came back from the jungle with were hilarious. But it's something that people, again, another experience mm. that people just aren't aware of. But I wondered because jungle was quite remote. Yeah. Obviously it's a jungle. <laughs> Maybe. A jungle in Paris, you know. <laughs> yeah, in the middle, right near the Eiffel Tower. Um, but I guess back to my question before around do you think doing something like the jungle where you are quite rem- remote, you are removed from society, there's not necessarily like an IGA down the street. I don't know what's it, IGA, but IGA that you can pop down to down the street. Do, do you find that any of the qualities that you... <laughs> what? Like imagine the prices of the IGA... But in the jungle? Because it's expensive anyway, let alone the one that's like out in the middle of nowhere. Could I just say a quick side story? I went to Hamilton Island once and was really homesick. This is why I could never do like a 30-day trip when I was in high school. I went to Hamilton Island for like two weeks and got homesick. Um, But I was really homesick and so I went to the little shop there and I thought, oh, I'll get a sesame bar. Yeah. Because my sister and I used to have sesame bars all the time. And I thought that'll bring me some happiness. $13. It was twelve dollars wow. for a sesame bar. That's like two bucks at the that's supermarket. So but anyway, quick irrelevant story. Um, but yeah, I guess back to the question before. I was saying, do you feel like any of the skills that you've learnt through, like youth work or doing rec programs or outdoor any sort of stuff or adventure therapy with young people, do you think that benefited you in the jungle, or do you think it 
<laughs> Stop laughing at me. Sorry, sorry. Or do sorry. you think it was a bit of a disservice? Because, like, like I was saying before, I've had a few people that say they really enjoyed that as a um, tool for them, like in their invisible tool belt to go travelling. But then also we've had discussions before around, you know, being a youth worker and sitting at a barbecue on a Sunday and, and you can almost sort of watch human behaviour and preempt things that are going to happen. And I don't like that because mm. I'm like, oh, I can sense that so-and-so over there is there's going to be a bit of a fight about this and, you know, Johnny's getting pissed off mm. with that. And, yeah, so I, I'm just interested in your opinion. Do you think those skills were a positive or a, or yeah. a negative in the jungle? I think more a positive, to be honest, because yeah. I think um, – Definitely for just engaging anyone. Like mm. I think given the role I've turned into quite a good conversationalist, like can make a wall start to talk, <laughs> like just asking questions, you know, trying to get answers out of, you know, 15-year-old boys sometimes can be really difficult if they don't want to talk. Mm. Um, so you're finding new ways to engage in different age groups of kids and people. Um, so I do think, yeah, sometimes just having more things to talk about um, and also learn a lot of things from like m- things that my clients are interested in. Mm. Then in order to engage, I then learn a lot about stuff that I might not have otherwise thought to be interested in. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, as far as like, I've definitely had people say even recently at a barbecue, like, do you know me better than I know me <laughs> right now? And I'm like, Oh, so it's always this double edged sword that people do kind of think you're assessing them mm. even when I'm like oh I'm really not like if you knew that I was probably thinking about yoga right now like <laughs> <laughs> it's just not even what I'm doing um but yeah and so that can be kind of good and bad yeah. but I also do find that sometimes like I must just have a face where people think that I always want to hear their life stories <laughs> <laughs> so definitely traveling like I'll get people open up to me about things that I'm like I'm just at a bus stop. Like, this is not necessarily what I Mm. was ready for. Having said that, I can deal with it when it happens. But, yeah, I do. Then I sometimes think, oh, I need to look more like an arsehole. (laughs) What what sort of work were you doing in... (laughs) Sorry. It's all right. What sort of work were you doing in... It was Bolivia, right? The jungle in Bolivia. Mm. So it was an animal sanctuary? It was more of a refuge and a rescue. So the animals had been like saved from either the black market or yeah. circuses where they were treated poorly. Mm. So it wasn't like a zoo. The public couldn't come and see it, yeah. see them. Um, and really we only saw the animals we were working with. So it wasn't even like we got to go and see see them all because it kind of was deemed that it stresses them out. Mm. And it does. You, they can hear you from kilometres away coming mm. and they're trapped in cages. So, yeah, they tried to limit... They tried to make their life as close to being free in the jungle as possible. So did they have like a big park, sort of like yeah. like a, um, what do they call it in, in Africa? I was going to say Jurassic Park. No, 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 safari? Jurassic Park. Savannah. No, like a safari, oh. like a game park where they like it's, you know, thousands of hectares, but there's a fence eventually, but it's essentially um, oh. sort of they are locked in, but you, you'd have to drive for hours before you hit the next fence sort of thing. That's a great question. No, I don't actually think they've got huge land. Yeah. Um, and no, because there's a road in the middle. Oh, but even in the, um, like no, I don't the, think it's ultimately. It was pretty free in. range. Like I'm assuming that. Like, like random animals could be in there. There were wild yeah. jags and stuff that okay. we saw footprints for. Right. So the space that they had was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because cool. they actually, so the main cats they had were jaguars and pumas. Yeah. 
and just big cats just casual big cats they're so cute and they're just like little cats but bigger Mm. Like, I know that sounds obvious, but they do all the same stuff. Mm. Like but just... also, when a cat goes and tries to swipe you, you can be like, fuck off, cat. If there's a puma being like, it wants to swipe you, You're like, I think I'd be a bit more intimidated. <laughs> just slightly. I was like, okay. I'll, I'll back up I'll now. back up now. But you can, yeah, you see it when it's about to happen. But yeah, so they did have huge spaces, but with those big cats, they're solo cats and they need like, yeah, like a territory a huge, of their own sort of thing, space, right? Because otherwise yeah. they're just sniffing the whole time and getting distressed. So mm. they do give them ample. And the ones that we could walk, we would take them out and they each had like two or three trails that they could walk down. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that was, if there were enough, like, it's really struggled over COVID because it relied heavily on backpackers coming through word of mm. mouth. Yeah. Um, and people, yeah, most of the people who work there aren't being paid and the few that are are... Yeah, it's not it's not a wage. It's mm. <laughs> enough that you're Minimal. maybe not coming out um, having spent anything. Yeah. But yeah, and it's hard, yakka. Like mm. I would. God, well, I you would've... just said you were dredging through something like neck deep, right? Well, because it's either rainy season, in mm. which case you're walking through swamps, and like when I got there, it was at my like chest height, and by the time I left, it was probably about my knees. Yeah. Um, and in the cat's cages, parts had dried off. So there were spots where there was ground. It's obviously not all water, but it's chunks of it. And in the dry season, which I wasn't there for, but apparently it's disgusting and got mm. like um, hot and mosquitoes humid, yeah. oh and my God. Yeah. they all have to wear like head to toe and nope. it's hot yeah. and hats and gloves and stuff. Fuck the they cats. Got... <laughs> they can stand, I'm not interested in that. The minute that there was some mosquitoes and ticks mentioned. as well. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I watched this random as SBS documentary series where they were trying to build like some village out in the jungle or something. Um, mm. like these, It was like this American show. They were trying to like rebuild this jungle mm. out in the middle of somewhere. And um, I know I've really done it justice. It was quite a boring show in Can't the end anyway. Oh, it was actually like, it was meant to be pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. it, the principle was cool, but it was kind of boring. But the point was that they were encouraging everybody. No, it wasn't Tiger King. Um, (laughs) They were encouraging everyone to wear gumboots for Mm. obvious reasons, but people were just like, whatever, and they're just walking around barefoot, but everyone was getting like these mad ticks. And Mm. like, was that a big problem over there? Like all that sort of stuff, parasites and stuff? Yep. People would get, um, I want to say Ebola, but it's not Ebola, is it? Those big like abscessy things. Yeah. Um, Yeah, people... Especially if you didn't let your grazers kind of heal, but if you're mm. walking in swamps, like how yeah, because everything well be moist you, all the time, wouldn't it? Everything like everyone's luggage all got. I had a pretty good room with good um, airflow. Yeah, but they actually think now because I went back in 2014, and I think since then now they've got more electricity. But it was running off a generator. There was no kind of lights at night. Like so, it was so old school. There's no Wi-Fi. Mm. I loved it. It was so peaceful. Um, you'd go to bed at eight because you were exhausted mm. and there was nothing to do besides stay up and chat and you'd get up at five. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was really cool. Cold showers, all that kind of jazz. Um, and I've forgotten what we were actually talking about. I uh, like ticks and parasites. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, people would get those things and mm. especially around – I was fortunate. I didn't really get anything and some people would get, like, annihilated by the mosquitoes. But mm. for the most part, I was okay. Um but the cats, when they lick you, you know how cats, domestic cats have really rough tongues? Mm. Yeah. So so do big cats, surprise, surprise. But the thing was these cats liked, or some of them, to lick you. And it's quite an 
cool experience, so you let them. Mm. But people would have these grazes on their arms. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. From like, yeah, because they've kind of got like little spikes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Don't they like yeah. do a – it's like a little hook, isn't it, on the cat's I think so, tongues? yeah. That's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So people would get these kind of really <gasps> – big grazy arms so you're talking about like legitimate like pumas and stuff you were that close you could be that close to them that they would lick yeah. lick you and stuff wow well not all of them so some of them were a bit rough and aggressive so some of them were caged and you just your role would be then to entertain them from the outside <laughs> you just <laughs> like a piece them. of meat like just like over here like throwing chickens <laughs> at them and stuff <laughs> and <laughs> and you'd wrap their food up and stuff and then you'd go oh hide God. it in their cage so you'd do kind of things yeah. Not you wouldn't go into their cage. They'd yeah. go into a different one, and then you'd, you know, put new smells in there and stuff for yeah, those wow. cats. Um, but the ones you could walk, yeah, you had a rope That's attached wild. to you, and they were, yeah. Were you scared? At least at first, surely, right? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So I had one jag that every day she jumped on me. And Fuck off. Getting no, <laughs> it's That's yeah. terrifying. And right? the thing was, I was working with a guy who was like six foot four or something, and she that never doesn't went matter. In. No, but she just <laughs> a big cat. My she God. smashed me every morning, and oh she God. would size me up like with a different kind of technique every time. So funny. a big scar from a cat's big cat swiping you though would be pretty cool, right? Mm. Like five. I've got a little one. I got stitches. Yeah, yeah, that'd mm. be yeah. That's cool. like the shark bit me, but like actually, it happened. Yeah. Have you bought into the big cats in the Dandenong Ranges or the Otways stuff? Have you heard those folk tales and things? <laughs> I have. I have heard it. No, Do you go hunting who... for them? I'm looking for your cat photos. I am listening. Oh no, I was more thinking. Yeah, <laughs> scrolling. Um, somebody I know was telling me who who does buy into it. I'm, I've bought into it. <laughs> and, did, yeah. did you? No, I'm a hundred percent. Yeah, because I live in. Belgrave. I'm, have you got any stories? Because you grew up in the Dandenongs. Yeah. Have you got any stories about them from people you know up there? Oh, people used to say they'd see shit all the time. But yeah. I mean. My uncle, who's got no need to lie, is like, um, he's in, what is he now, late 70s. They've lived mm-hmm. up in Menzies Creek for 30 years. And I said to him once, because we used to go up there all the time. That's why I live up there now, because we used mm-hmm. to spend so much time at their house. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. And I said to him, I go, oh, what do you reckon of the big cats thing? He goes, yeah, same one. I go, what do you mean? He goes, Swear to God, 100 metres down the road, walking in the middle of the road, big black tail, big cat, 100%. Yeah, he's like I said, he's a straight up dude. Like, he's got no reason to lie. Um, the Do you story think that the... they're wild cats that bred into a big cat and not necessarily, a, not necessarily like Bigfoot? No, no. So, I get, I know you, like, I get your question and that you're 50% like making a joke, but there's a story <laughs> for the ones in the Dandenongs was that during the war, there was an American family that lived in the area. Yeah. Is it the same story that you've yeah. heard too? Yeah. yeah. And they had kind of like a zoo yeah. for whatever reason. They kind of had like all of these different animals. And then after the war, they went back to the States and they just left all the animals. They let them all escape. Yeah, and the black cats have survived. But um, which, which war, sorry? I think the Second World War. During the Second World War, for whatever like reason, sorry, the American... Yeah, it's... I don't know. I, that's the story. I love I the story though. I yeah. now want to be on a hunt... There's a Facebook group. I'm not part of it, but my so Matt, right, who we did the podcast with in Torquay, Matt, yeah, yeah. he posted something on Facebook saying, um, "Has anyone seen ever seen a big black cat in the Otways, like around Geelong?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, bro, you know, Dandenong Rangers, check it out." And then he's like, he added me to like this big cat like finding group, and he was like asking other people about it, and he he's like, he goes, "I swear, I saw one, and it was in the Otways." People were legit about it, and I, I wholeheartedly 
Get it. I've never seen it, though. I'm into it. Like, you know when you go to the zoo and you know there's a cat in the cage and you still can't see it? Yeah. They camouflage so well. This is why I think the theory is so good because Mm. there's... It's not like it's a fucking elephant, you know what I mean, that can't, mm. like, hide very well. Like, mm. if you're going to see an elephant out in a field, you're mm. going to see, but it's, like, the tail or people say they mm. saw it running away and, you know, I, I love that sort of mm. stuff. And I like that it's, like, pretty reasonable as opposed to, like, Bigfoot or, like, aliens. Well, some of those aliens might be true. There'd be people yelling, like, fucking Bigfoot's real. Mm. <laughs> Do you think oh, that is that a is... bobcat? Cougar? Well, yeah, cougars and pumas are the same thing. Oh, are they? Is I think cougar so. Cougar and puma. Cougars are. Is I it think puma that they're black? Um, Canada. Jaguar. I think. Is that a cheetah with the spots? So sorry, um, Nat's showing me photos of Maddie yeah, sorry, with cats. Yeah, sorry for context so to people. I'm, sure I'm not just saying animal big names. Cats. <laughs> That's wild. But yeah, not right. big cats because big cats is like a man coon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man coon. That's out sick. other world. Yeah, that's like a. I'll fuck you up. I'm a real cat. Cat. King of the jungle. Shoot. They do, they do just sleep a lot. Oh, I'm well. a cat guy. We've got a dog, but I've also got a cat. Mm. Love my yeah. my cat, Moomoo's. Moomoo was a rescue cat that was found mm. not far from here. Under the walking bridge in Dandenong. Yeah, <laughs> He's a hood cat, there. but he's like the nicest cat ever. Mm. It's very sweet. He is really sweet. There was a few people at work that wanted dibs on him. How did you get him? I think Still I said it first that I was I think interested. Josh was just ringing the vet. He was yeah. like, can I have it yet? Yeah, can, okay. I have it yet? Yeah. can I have it yet? Um, oh, that's good though. I love yeah. rescue animals. Mm. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. He just sleeps all day like most cats. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I feel like we should get back on topic of youth work and social work. My apologies. I was actually. Oh, no. It's super interesting to hear <laughs> about it. I'll no, link like it if you great. like because I can say a Please. lot of the times I felt like the cats were a little bit like my clients because they'd been through. Like I had one cat that I just had to sit in its cage for a month. Mm. And it, like at the start it was pacing because it was really anxious and then they're like, oh, give it a week and it'll start like stopping and you'll see it. Mm. And so it was like I had to do all this like relationship building with it. Yeah. And then I didn't actually end up working with the cat for that for the month. But they said by the month it usually comes up and maybe like gives you a lick even. Mm-hmm. Um, and I constantly thought, oh, a lot of these animals just have a story. Yeah, of course. Where they've been kind of poorly treated maybe or and things like that. And so it often... It was about seven months into my year away from Australia and work and I was like, oh, I really miss work because it was actually Mm. a lot of the time bringing me back to similar feelings that I would have. Mm. It's like, how can people hurt these animals? Which is sometimes what I think about the kids that I work with when they've had hard lives that wasn't their fault. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, how do you mistreat these beautiful people or misunderstand Mm. behaviours, you know? Absolutely. Mm. And I was going to say... In the context of you, you wanted to link it and I was I was actually going to talk about animal therapy and mm. I was going to ask if, um, besides Molly, that she's fast asleep now but going to be the best therapy dog ever. Mm. hope she gets a cute little jacket, by the way. Um, but I was going to say, in the work that you do much at the moment, do you have any strong links with animal therapy? Because I think equine therapy is a big one that most people know about and having therapy dogs... You know, there's a lot, that's a lot, uh, that's happening a lot in schools now mm-hmm. um, or in alternative learning environments. Do you guys do much of that or have connection? In the actual organisation I work with at the moment, like there aren't any therapy dogs. Yeah. Um, I have worked for organisations before where they've had them. Mm. And even now one's going into some rehabs and hospitals that I know, um, which is super cool and have worked where 
you know, mental health facilities where there's dogs there and, yeah, often the kids are ringing up to be like, unless the dog's there, I'm not coming today. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so the the evidence is overwhelming for how effective they can be. Mm. Um, actual connections, yeah. I've linked people in with equine therapy quite a bit because I know that that's, yeah, really effective as well for certain certain types of challenges. Mm. There's um, a client that um, we had to do equine therapy and it was honestly, I couldn't even articulate into words watching the interaction. Mm. I grew up around horses, I've ridden horses, I love horses, I think mm. they're the best. Um, but just not something I had seen or potentially maybe conceptualised really in my mm. mind is obviously horses being separate to equine therapy. There's a bit more that goes into that. But watching mm. the interaction mm. and the horse choosing, like walking mm. over, welcoming that young person into the space, it was actually just so amazing. Mm. Like I I remember then having to go to a care team and articulate how the session went. And, mm. and I all I just kept saying was, it was so amazing. Mm. I literally just had no words. But, but being a part of, I wasn't a part of it, I was you know, away from the space, but watching it, it was just so phenomenal. Mm. And I really love, and it's something that we've spoken about before, I really love that um, not alternative therapy, but alternative therapy options mm. are being explored, you know, mm. that play therapy, that adventure therapy, you know, mm. wilderness therapy, like there's yeah. huge research going into that at the moment. Yeah. And animal-based therapies, like mm. I just think that's amazing that that's where we're moving towards. And I think mm. when I sort of moved into the youth work field, you know, and art therapy was sort of a, a bit of a woohoo option for kids to engage in. And now it's, you know, it's leaps and bounds and the evidence is there and mm. the outcomes are there. And I just think that's a really exciting thing to be a part of. I'm really happy that um, I'm really thankful that I got to work within the field. <laughs> You're laughing at me again? No, I'm laughing at myself. I'm really thankful that I got to work in the field in a period of time mm. where I could say, why don't we engage that young person in art mm. therapy? And mm. I wasn't the outwardly opinionated person in the room. You know, it's like, fuck yeah, we should try that. You know, and I just, I don't know, obviously why it was, I just, yeah, I don't know where it's come from all of a sudden to be such a, because a couple of years yeah. ago it became the buzz thing, art therapy, music mm. therapy, mm. you know, and it, if people are just getting more innovative and creative and I actually question now thinking about it, I've never thought where it's stemmed from but I mm. put on my trauma lens and I think well there's so much work now in and knowledge in the fact that talk therapy is not the be all and end all yeah and it's actually sometimes the least effective tool mm. it's just what we go to and so people are now you know talk therapy is really only talking to our conscious Mm. And there's so many things that our unconscious is aware of, our body's aware of. Um, and so animal therapy or art therapy, all these other music therapy, mm. movement kind of ideas and yoga and boxing and all those things, left brain, right brain, like it's there's a lot of reason why those things are now getting some some genuine credit. Yeah. Mm. And rightly so. Mm. Hats and they off. just make you feel good. Like, do you ever go for a walk outside and be like, I felt worse for that? Mm. So now it's that or soft. I went to the gym or did whatever exercise I do and I don't feel like you might feel tired. Mm. But I very rarely hear someone say they didn't enjoy it. Yeah. At the end. <laughs> Maybe not during it, but yeah. at the end. Mm. Yeah. Or that was a waste of my time. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And even like newer things, like, I don't know if you guys are aware of Wim Hof, but he's kind of got new. Mm. things that are scientifically proven but also a bit woo-woo. Yeah. 
But, um, I did that at um, a, uh, I, I got taught the Wim Hof mm-hmm. method at a yoga retreat in Thailand. Mm. And I remember the naturopath saying to me, and, and look, I am a bit woohoo. I'm happy to acknowledge that I'm a pretty spiritual mm-hmm. person. And I, can you I, give it a, can you explain the idea? The for, Wim Hof Yeah, method, for oh, people who don't know. Probably going to butcher it. Well, but Wim, Wim Hof is his name. I believe. Well, no, sorry, the Wim Hof method. Do you want me to start? Yeah, could you start? Yeah. <laughs> it's a breathing technique, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, that over-oxygenates a... your body. It's both a breathing technique and then also has a cold water therapy element yeah. to it. Yeah. But about regulating yourself, yeah. isn't it? Yep. Yeah. So it's about like, and I'll also butcher it, but that kind of, um, yeah, it's been proven that doing both the combination of the breathing and the cold he can activate parts of his brain that mm. is deemed we didn't think we could have mm. any control over ourselves, and then it helps with like autoimmune. Yeah, like there's video mm. of him on YouTube. I can't, um, I can't remember his full name. I think some. you're right. Wim it's Hoff just Wim Hof. Yeah, yeah ice, but he gets referred to as the Ice Man as well because yeah. he does crazy stuff like climbs Everest. There's only one Ice Man. He's from Top Gun, so everyone just stopped doing that. Ice Man. <laughs> yeah. I've watched Top Gun. What are you talking about? He's the other the other fighter pilot. Oh no, I've watched Man. Top Gear. <laughs> top Gear. <but laughs> That's what I thought of as well. Oh, I like the Ice Man. Show. Ice Man's Val Kilmer's character. Jeremy Clarkson. What do you mean? I think the end goal for like a Wim Hof scenario that he talks about is submerging yourself in a bath full of ice yes and being and completely under control even... of your breathing and your body yeah. and your mind yeah and so yeah. one of the things that he like he was told at one stage oh, it'd be impossible for you to get into this um it was like a freezing cold mm. um near i believe it was near everest but i could be maybe mm. potentially making that up and he did it and people were just astounded that he didn't die from mm. hypothermia um, and the way it was explained to me is that you over-oxygenate your body, which isn't a bad thing, but it, it was around the human body can actually go for a significant period of time without air. It's just whether you, um, like it's about the mental game as well. And so you do sort of, I guess, heaps of breathing. And the way it was explained to me is you over-oxygenate and then you hold your sort of breath. Mm. And then you can last a really long time and you take a really big breath in and you're done. Um I mean, I haven't it. I haven't practiced it a whole lot because the naturopath that taught me also said, you know, do it with somebody else as well in case I'm a, I'm a really prone to fainting. So oh yeah, you don't. Highly, don't do that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I uh, there's risks there for me. But I remember him saying to me, mm. you know, it's like smoking a joint and you feel high. And I was like, it's fucking cracker barrel. What's he on about? I'm gonna do some breathing and I'm gonna feel like I'm high on, on cannabis. I don't think so, but it actually is mm. so crazy. The like I don't, the experience mm. of it and even like the amount of time in which you can hold your breath. I didn't need to breathe. I wasn't struggling to breathe, but my brain kept going, you need to breathe. Mm. You need to breathe. Why aren't you breathing? Mm. Um, and we used this a lot of that come in with yoga. a disclaimer that don't just try and hold your breath out there, guys. No. Because, <laughs> yeah, or jump in cold baths because they work their way up to it. Yeah. Like 30 <laughs> seconds on. If you want to do anything, just Google Wim Hof, YouTube. <laughs> And he'll come up. Yeah. But he's done it with a heap of famous people and stuff mm. now. He's got a heap of books. and. I think he climbed Everest in shorts. That was one of the things yeah. he did to prove it, that he well, could do something. Well, because they initially thought or... he was a bit of an enigma. And he right. was like, oh, there's nothing fancy about me. Yeah. Anyone can do this. So he's gone out of his way now ah. to show that it's just as simple as this. Yeah. Um, but huge benefits, evidence-based in, or anecdotal at least, in like depression and anxiety. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, wow. So there's, and there's quite a lot of people. So I don't actually do it, but I did try and I got up to 30 seconds in a cold shower. But oh. then I did think one year I had a, a um, 
New Year's resolution when I was younger that every time I saw the ocean, I had to jump in it. And once again, no regrets from that. So I kind of feel like for a year I was limping. So you're doing outreach in Frankston, <laughs> sticking to that golden rule. I mean, that would have been hilarious. Also, don't, just don't hang on ruin a second. my hood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean, just there, how often are you doing outreach in Frankston? If you stuck to your rule, you'd be in the ocean all the time. Mm. Imagine that. You just look, sorry, two sex. <laughs> Got to run into the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, true. I lived in the city when it was my <laughs> resolution. Not near too much water except the Yarra. They reckon a cold shower thing's good for your skin too. Mm. There's Apparently there's heaps of research into cold shower, your mm. physiological body, the mm. way your, um, your flight or flight response, your parasympathetic nervous system. There's actually heaps of research mm. into the cold shower and how that – I haven't read the research obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be pulling a blank. The reason I know about mm. it is from Audrey Marcus, I think – um, I think you actually told me about him, Maddie, but he's sort of like this biohacking man from the States who's like this ninja warrior type okay. um, but does a lot of biohacking. Does What's that thing that Joe Rogan? The Was he on Joe Rogan? I think he's been on Joe Rogan, mm. but the um, the supplement. Um, <laughs> TRT. He bangs on about it all the time. Did you say DMT? TRT. Oh, no, I'm joking. I can't remember. What it. It's like brain power or whatever. And Anyway, he yeah, his name's Audrey Marcus. You can give him a look and he's got a book it's called you can do it and it's all around changing the wiring and the way that society has sort of given us impressions mm. in i guess the way we need to do things like you got to have a warm shower mm. but then he goes in to talk about the research and the health benefits that you can get from having a cold shower and mm. having it in the morning um and things like hydrating as soon as you wake up rather than having a coffee mm. um there's water and coffee just saying <laughs> do you know actually it's really funny so when Every i read this book and something that stood out to me was he talks about in it and he tries to relate it to common day things like mm-hmm. would you do this no so don't do that yeah. but one of his mm-hmm. examples was when you start your car in the morning you let it idle so that all the fuel can get through your pistons and your engine can warm up and all of that and i've probably used the complete wrong words there but that was the way he explained the scenario I and so he said, you wait to give your car an opportunity, therefore your car lasts longer, it's got better for performance because you've treated it better, blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this big explanation of it. And in the end, he, he talks and relates that to when you wake up in the morning, you should drink water straight away. And I remember thinking, nah, I don't wake up my car starts. <laughs> no one does <laughs> I'm anymore. I'm like straight into reverse. Ning. We don't need to do that, that, do we? amazing speech about make your bed in the morning? Yes, but I do make my bed every morning. Well, so do I, but it's still a good speech. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you said speech. I meant the the book. Oh, no. I don't know the book, but I'm sure the book's good. Yeah. No, it's like a speech. It's like a um, military army guy or something in the States. Oh, it's uh, it's, um, Jocko Willink. It could be. Yeah, real deep voice. Yeah. Yeah, Jocko Willink. Did you notice that that your voice got deep? Because I tried to, to, like, he's another Joe Rogan guy. Right, right, right. Yeah, he used to be in in the... um, Special Ops, what are they? What are the American ones called? I was going to say SAS, but they're Australian uh, English. Um, yeah, something like that. The Special Forces guy. Mm. Yeah, you know he's got that collection of people that he interviews a lot that are yeah. all ex-Special Forces. He's one of them. He's a jiu-jitsu guy and stuff. Right. Yeah. He's got a few videos, and I think that's one of them. Yeah, I think because yeah. that's kind of what he talks it's about. Really, he talks yeah. about all this intense stuff. It's like a five-minute speech, but it starts with making your bed in the morning, and he brings it back, and you'll, by the end you're like, yeah, I'm going to make my bed in the morning. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's and then take on the world. Like, yeah, or I can't it could take... be David Goggins. He's another one who does um like a lot of inspirational videos mm. and things. He's another military guy, mm. but it's yeah, it's a pretty cool story as well. Mm. Yeah, it's probably one of those guys that's turned it into a book. To be honest, I honest, I can't remember the name, 
but the book was on the premise is you wake up first thing in the morning, you make your bed, you've already achieved something. Yeah. yeah. You're starting off on the right foot, yep. which is a really good way to start your day, to be mm. fair, because how many times you like rushed, got to work, well, how many times have you gotten to work late and you felt rushed in the morning mm. and you're like, oh, fuck, I feel like the morning's gotten away from me. And then by the time you get to your desk, you've half a coffee down, anxiety's through the roof, you panicked, you know, mm. all that sort of stuff. Whereas I think, yeah. Being able to make your bed, it's achieving something and you're sort of setting yourself up the right way for your day. Mm. Do you make your bed every day after you heard the speech or did you make your bed every day oh, pre that? I, I made it, but maybe not every day. But I think since then, if I ever go not to, I just have this moment where I'm like, just do it. Like you will feel better immediately. Because as soon as, if I come home at the end of the day and the bed's not made, I have this like, ugh. Yeah. It's messy. It's, it's just not done. Whereas mm. the other way, it's not even a thing. Mm. So I do, and I was just thinking back to one of the questions that you asked about, like strategies mm. in in your five questions that you ask people. I was like, oh yeah, that's always a telltale. My morning routine. Yeah. But if if I'm not implementing my self care strategies, the first thing to go is my morning routine, and mm. it's the first thing that needs to come back to get the rest of my day flowing. Mm. Well, it sets you up for your day, right? And mm. I think particularly because of the field that we're in. Starting your day from a shit spot, it's not necessarily going to go up from there, mm. you know? It's a lot harder, yeah. It's a lot harder to go up from <laughs> there. And I think even if you've had a bit of a morning where you're feeling a bit frazzled and then you front up to work and, you know, the first thing that you have an interaction about is a crisis with a client, you're, you're just not – you're pouring from a half-empty cup, you know? And I think something that I bang on about all the time is that you can't pour from mm. an empty cup, so you've got to fill your own cup first mm. before you can best support anybody else. And so I think if you come into your day frazzled without a having had a productive morning or feeling maybe you're beating yourself up about having a bit of a shit morning or, you know, I slept in too long or I went to bed late last night, you know, you're already sort of starting with the guilting and the shaming mm. to then go into something with a young person that, you know, more than likely is experiencing guilt and shame. Mm. Can you really hold productive space for them? So you're right. I think having a productive morning routine is well, I think it just helps with the lens that you then look out of for the rest of your day. Yeah. Like as a metaphor kind of to put to it. But like I try and do like when I'm my most best self, mm. I practice gratitude in the morning because if you kind of even just look for three things in the, that you're grateful for in the morning, then you start to see that and more gratitude throughout the day. Mm. And it's the same the other way that if you've had a frazzled morning, a shit morning, then you're like, oh, the day's ruined. The day's just going to be shit now. Yeah. And so you've actually talked your mind into looking for all the shit things and all the times you stuff up. Whereas if you already have the the good mindset from the get-go, yeah. then you're – it's like if I say, do you look for pink ele elephants for the rest of the day, mm. you'll notice all the pink ele elephants. Yeah. So it's the same with gratitude. So I kind of – yeah, when I'm, when I'm at my best, that's what I'm doing as well. Yeah. Not consistently. <laughs> hey, it's a work in progress, right? It's a work in progress. Do you um, – um, I wonder – you mentioned, like obviously earlier when you mentioned that you've worked in the AOD field, mental health, and now you're doing sort of more of a trauma specialist role. Mm -hmm. Do you ever miss being specifically mental health or specifically AOD or or do you now find that you sort of get a broader experience? Like although it's trauma-informed mm -hmm. work, I'm sure that a number of those things will come into mm -hmm. it. Do you miss being... A little bit. Like I still do some casual AOD yep. at the moment um, and that's 
for a few reasons, but more than anything, I do miss the clients. I think it's a different client group. Yeah. I work um, at the moment specifically with refugees, so it's a different um, group again. Mm. Um, and, yeah, AOD is not as prevalent in my group of clients at the moment. Um, it's not that it's not there. It's just not in the current clients I work with. Um, but, yeah, I sometimes do like miss parts of the different work because they are all a little bit different. Like I used to do work in hospitals and in inpatient units. And yeah. I'm rarely currently getting that kind of level of um, mental health or in that dual diagnosis, mm. um, which I did love. So I've kind of swapped to try something new and I was discovering that AOD was often the symptom of trauma. Yeah. And so and mental health is often as well. It's very closely linked so now I've kind of gone into trauma more specifically Mm. um but yeah I definitely still have a soft spot for all the other areas and groups Mm. it's something I wonder because I do like I think about it and you know working in AOD can be chaotic at the best of the time at the best of times and you know sometimes it is a you're towing that hard line between crisis response and case management and you know you're seeing different presentations every day and if you're in a say like a drop-in space you know Mm. you never know what's going to come through that door so it's you it's something different every day and I think the tagline that I always say when people are like oh my god that job sounds rewarding I'm like yeah it's never a dull moment Mm. because there isn't like and it just doesn't Mm. stop and I think I wonder if I were to explore other roles or if I was to go somewhere else if I'd be bored Mm -hmm. Because, you're, I, I, yeah, I wonder if because of the sort of chaos yeah. of AOD mm. and young people and working within a space where there is like a drop-in and you're mm-hmm. sort of readily available to people most of the time, I do wonder what the what it would be like to sit in an office where your clients can't get mm. to you mm. or to, you know, just sit behind a desk or... Mm. It's definitely different. Like I, the work that I do now is a lot slower. Yeah. Um, slower in kind of the recovery or... You know, not that, you know, recovery is and healing is a long, lifelong process, but, you know, things and working with children, like six, eight-year-olds, yeah. is really slow because you're waiting. Mm-hmm. You're just planting some seeds for things to happen. Often you've got to get the best work and change will happen when the parents are involved and that, like, and depending on people's barriers, it's stopping them from or hindering them from kind of progressing. Like there's, so it can be very, very slow work and sometimes I do miss that high intensity a bit more mm. like my role now is not really reactive at all yeah um, it is a bit more planned and it, look it does still have high risks definitely and um chaos but maybe at the moment i don't have a caseload of of that kind of high complexity mm. or it's complexity in a different way yeah um and i think going like because i go into schools a lot of the protective factors are still there and that makes a big difference depending on what family and if they're linked in with school. Mm. And especially during COVID, it was really obvious the benefit that school plays for kids. Absolutely. The safety that it provides and the the separation from what's going on at home or in their otherwise outside life. So, um, yeah, it's definitely different work. Yeah. And big, there's different care team. Like if you've got a school, you've got other people supporting you, me as well, mm. to do the role. There's well-being, there's teachers. So all the risk doesn't fall onto me mm. in the same way when they've got more external supports. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. 
Do you miss the um, going to the psych ward? Yes. Yeah, you used to love that. As like it's not a place, you know, I think that they can do a lot more to make it, you know, a youth or adult friendly place. I think mm. it's um, – but I enjoyed the clients that I met in that space. Yeah. I found them really um, – I found their stories interesting. I found them good characters and you do. The, the person they go in – when they're quite unwell and then once they've kind of got a few things in place again, mm. um, yeah, so they come out a bit bit safer and, yeah, you can do some good work. So, yeah, I definitely miss those clients. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's, again, it's a similar situation to the chaos, I mm. guess. There's always something going on there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Whereas I don't like going there because I've been locked in there before. So <laughs> I remember that story. Yeah, scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I had not so great experience. I liked going in there as well because I wasn't medical. So I didn't go in there with lanyards and I didn't go in there being a nurse or a doctor. I had no power when I was going in there. Um, And so I think I got better engagement. Like you take down all Mm. those kind of barriers. I wasn't a cop. (laughs) And I often had the time when I went there intentionally to just listen. Mm. And the kids in there just want to be heard. So it was... um, yeah, I always found it quite an interesting experience. Mm. Mm. Well, before we close up, mm-hmm. we have a surprise question that I didn't tell you about. Don't mm. panic. Um, we like to finish off every podcast with any words of wisdom or pieces mm-hmm. of advice for either new workers coming into the field, mm-hmm. people currently studying, maybe someone wants to change careers and become a youth worker win survivor yeah do you what would your words of wisdom be um like my first one is get a dog (laughs) (laughs) that changes everything um oh my words of wisdom i think it would be around self-care to be honest i think that um when I think about what do I need to make to do my job best, you know, the knowledge and the experience that comes and that'll grow. But if I, I can't do any of that if I'm not looking after myself. And so I do think, and it probably took a while because that felt quite selfish initially, mm. this idea of look after yourself, take a day off because you need it. Um, I'd always be like, oh, no, that the kids need me or something, the client, I had something on the client and now I realise, you know, after a few years you learn, oh, no, to actually serve them better, mm. you got to serve yourself first. So I think it's, yeah, self-care stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I agree. I think um, I remember going to a, I think it was like a forum or something one time mm-hmm. um, and one of the guys that was talking there was like, you're not feeling good today. You're not mm. going to come in and give it your all. Don't come to work. Mm. Don't be there. Yep. And I remember being like, Jesus, this guy's a bit savage. Mm. And then it wasn't until I was doing the work that I was like, oh, right. Mm. That makes sense. Well, and the clients can tell. They can yeah. tell if you're distressed. They can feel it as well. They can tell if you're a bit distracted. You're not. And you don't want to miss a conversation where you haven't been on. They didn't feel they could tell you when they were, especially if they were like suicidal or something that you Mm. missed out on it because you weren't in your best yeah form um to maybe pick up on signs that you would have if you were you know we can't pick up on everything always but if there were signs there that you would have normally been able to pick up on yeah Mm. absolutely i do think my other one would be to play more 
Mm. Yeah, an adult. I recently bought a piano inspired by Brene Brown because she's all about playing. She's a queen. Is that why you bought a keyboard? No, but funnily enough, Maddie and I, she got a piano and I got a keyboard on the same day. Oh, look out. I hear some duets coming along. Can you do that with piano? I don't even know. Yeah. Play at the same time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, she, could, she could play the, the lower notes, I could play the higher ones. There you go. Actually, I'm learning Piano Man, thank you very much. Ooh. Or cool. Lean On Me, that one's pretty easy. <laughs> I, love, I couldn't sing them, so well Have done. Have you learnt anything yet? Well, I played when I was younger, yeah. and so I thought, cool, I'll just start that again. I used yeah. to love it. Riding a bike. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh-huh. Each of my fingers need training wheels of their own. It's yeah, so right. bad. I feel a bit sorry for my neighbours that they have to listen <laughs> to me like. And I love the pedal because when you play well, the pedal sounds amazing. Yeah. Otherwise, da 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 It's horrible. <laughs> so um, I will play you a song one day. Beautiful. Fantastic. It'll probably be from Disney. As long <laughs> as it's not Let It Go, I'm okay with it. We're that. all done with that one. Yeah, I think everybody's played that out enough. Yeah. Or maybe I'll learn to play my, my walk-in <gasps> WWE track. Yes. Can you sing it as Run well? Run the world, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Maddie. It's Thank been you. a pleasure. Yeah, it's been awesome for chat. having me. This has been good fun. Really I mean, cool. Molly didn't really input too much in the end. She's fallen no. asleep. No, she's done well, kind of. But our first, our, our first animal guest. Mm-hmm. Did well. Lucky that it wasn't just the dog. Would have been a pretty shitty podcast. Oh, like just Molly. I was like, what do you mean? I so you can you tell us around. about um, being a therapy dog? Like, what's that like? <laughs> do you enjoy your time, Molly? <laughs> oh, thanks, Maddie. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week. Thank you.